1: Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 260, being recorded on Thursday, April 15th, 2021. Used to be Tax Day. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo.
0: Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Jason, I was having a good day until you mentioned uh, the tax man.
1: Yeah, but I I don't think it... I don't think it was going to be tax day anyway today, and then it got
0: extended, so you've got all kinds of time. Yeah, there is some complications there, but I'll I'll save that for another show. That's all right, I look forward to hearing for that today. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there are some new Echo earbuds. Are you going to try those? I don't know. I was actually on the fence. I was not a, I was
1: excited about the first ones, and then I was not that impressed, and so I am debating. I'm assuming Apple's going to announce some new ones next week, uh, or at least there's some some potential that they will, and I kind of live in those Apple AirPods, so I don't know if I'm going to bother giving the new Echoes a try. It kind of depends on if you
0: get them. If you try them for me, yeah. I don't need to try them. I'm in the same case. I tried the first generation. It was like putting a pineapple in your ear. So I'm not I'm not going to take that risk again. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very happy with my, my AirPods, so I'm not going to risk it.
1: Yeah, I guess we have the same opinion. We'll wait for someone else to fall in love with them first.
0: Yeah, read some reviews, see how they go. Cool. Well, today is a big day for you, Jason, because earlier this morning, the Department of Commerce came out with their big data drop. Uh, And I know that's always a big day for you. So you've probably been tabulating, collating, APIing, data sciencing, AIing, machine learning. Um, and doing all that retail geek stuff. So tonight, uh, we're going to keep it pretty short because we really want to focus in on that data. Um, And then it was a pretty active news week, so we, we, there's a couple of highlights we want to hit there. So why don't you kick us uh, into the data conversation, Jason?
1: Yeah, yeah. And to be clear, I don't care about the data at all. I'm just super excited for uh, an excuse to use my Python script and to play in Tableau. Exactly. Yeah. What, um, what could be better? Exactly. So super quick refresher. U.S. Department of Commerce publish retail data every month. They have two data sets, the retail data set, which is kind of two months in the arrears. So so today they published uh, their official retail data from February. And then the advanced retail data, which is only one month old. So they published the March uh, advanced retail data. And the difference is the advanced retail data is based on about 5000 surveys that different retailers filled out and the the full month is based on uh something like 10 to 15000 surveys and there's a lot more math and error correction in it so it's uh it's slightly more reliable but to be honest for the most part we use the advanced retail data because it's fresher so uh so in that data is their their view on how march played out and march is kind of an interesting month this year because march last year was the first covid affected month in in the united states and i would call it a partial month like mostly covid sort of you know uh started playing out in in march so april would be the the first full month and then this year uh you know the the current march numbers uh are likely heavily impacted by all the economic stimulus that went out in January and February. Um, So, so a lot going on to look at. And the, the top line is uh, March this year was way up over March last year. So uh, we sold and this is retail only. So I'm taking restaurants out of, out of the U S department of commerce data. This is all categories of retail, just not restaurants. It's, we sold 556 billion dollars last month which is up almost 27% from march of last year and so you know that's a that's a huge year over year growth partly explained by the fact that you know march was when retail started to have this huge dip last year and then we've got this extra bump from stimulus checks this year
0: so, so I saw a headline that said nine point eight, and I guess that includes restaurants. Is that why that no, was different than what you have?
1: That okay. uh, is month over month. Me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Every, Which doesn't a, matter at all. Yeah.
1: Again, I, I like encourage people not month. to pay attention to month over month for most for most retail purposes. Lord. But that like, tends to be the top line in the news. Um so so yeah, we were up like nine point something percent over last month. Um, the, even with restaurants, the, it was still a huge month of growth when you look at it year over year. Um, so if you want to kind of flatten out some of the, the special things that happened in March, you, we could then look at year to date this year versus last year. So January through March this year versus January through March last year. And that is also up a healthy 16.4%. So in general, retail was, you know, growing less than 16%, uh, before this pandemic started. So the fact that these these uh you know first 3 months of this year are up 16% over, you know, mostly in un, unaffected from by the pandemic last year. Um you know this this is setting us up for a pretty like if, if these kind of numbers continue, which they likely won't, like this this is um uh, extraordinary growth. And so then some specific things we like to pull out of those numbers uh, one of the bummers about the advanced monthly data is there is not a true e-commerce number in there. I wish there were. Um, but there is this thing called non-store sales, which is kind of a a, a big uh, lumpy superset of e-commerce and some catalog sales and some other things. It's the closest thing in this data to e-commerce. Um, and so that was up 16% over last year. Um, so all, also healthy growth. That's I would call that more typical growth. And I try not to get too focused on that because it's, it's not a perfect match with e-commerce. Um, so then in the categories, this is the fun thing. Um, all these discrete categories that they break out, um were all up over last year, which has not been the case any, any uh, month for the last, for the last 12 months of the pandemic. Right. So, apparel, which has been absolutely blitzed by the pandemic, uh, was up the most. It's up 101%. So that's a combination of like pent up demand, people starting to get shots and go out more and think about buying clothes and having, you know, some stimulus money burning a hole in their pockets. But this is is a, an encouraging sign because there were people in the apparel industry that were worried that like, you know, new habits that didn't involve uh, uh, stylish clothing had been formed during the pandemic. Um, So everyone went out and at least bought one fancy outfit, apparently. Um, Sporting goods were up 74%. Auto was up 71%. And that's interesting because auto really wasn't heavily impacted by the pandemic. Um, It behaved like we were worried it would, but it ended up behaving about how we would have expected anyway. So the fact that it's up 71% is likely... Almost all stimulus money. Um, furniture was up 47%. Restaurants, which we'll talk about in a minute, uh, first recovery they've had in a, in a year were up 36%. Gas was up 35%, which arguably gasoline was the worst business to be in during the pandemic. Um, do it yourself was up 29%. That's Lowe's and Home Depot. Electronics uh, were up 28%. And then you get into the stuff that was only mildly up, which is general merchandise and health. And those were the categories that most benefited from the, from COVID last March. Right. So, so, so even they were up, um, but not wildly up. And then only one category in the whole report was down um, versus last March, which was grocery. And that's because of course we all rushed out and bought toilet paper at the grocery store in March of last year um, and soup. So, so that's kind of the breakdown. Um, The one of the, the most important themes in, in these COVID categories is the competition between restaurants and grocery stores. And so um, if you kind of think pre COVID restaurants and grocery stores had almost 50, 50 split of uh, dollars for, for calories. So we bought half, half of our, our calories from grocery stores, half from restaurants Um, at the peak of COVID in April, Grocery stores were getting 70% of the dollars. Restaurants were only getting 30%. And then for most of COVID, it's kind of been a 60-40 split. So, so that's a, you know, that, that's a big enough shift that that's a huge boon for grocery stores and a disaster for restaurants. Um, so for the first time, we started to see that gap close a little bit as restaurants went down or grocery stores went down for the first time in a year and restaurants went up for the first time in a year. So for the month, we had this kind of, 54% of calories going to grocery stores and 46% of calories going to restaurants. So that's um, starting to show a little restaurant recovery, which isn't remotely surprising because I think, you know, everyone understands there's a lot of pent up demand to um, to get back to restaurants. And and, uh, so both, you know, weather and vaccines and fatigue all sort of um, uh, making it a little easier to get a few more meals from restaurants. So. Uh, th- those were my big takeaways. Any anything surprise you out of any of that, Scott?
0: Now, if we if we project it forward, and there's a day where we don't have stimulus, um, and we're comping, I, you know, from an online perspective, the comps are going to get harder for the next, you know, nine plus months, right? Like we sh- they should go negative, almost you would think, or relatively flat. I don't know.
1: In a lot of categories, so,
0: they, they for sure have yeah. this first world problem of
1: comping against their their pandemic escalated numbers. Um, yeah, and so I, I've been joking around, but you're you're starting to see it in in um, kind of uh, the the analyst reports and whatnot. It's you know a lot of CEOs are trying to make this year over two years ago comparison. So I'm
0: calling it yacht, yeah, yeah. I like that. I may start to use that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's um. valid. Sometimes it's not. Um, but, but yeah, like, you know, the, the interesting phenomena about this whole thing now is going to be, you know, the people that got a temporary benefit from COVID, what can they do to hang on to some of that benefit? Right. Or walk in some of those new behaviors. Can you, you know, if you, uh, made more meals at home, like obviously, Restaurants are going to come back, but is there some way in which you you keep people cooking at home one more night a week than they did before or you know, uh, working from home one more day a week
0: than they did before? All of those kinds of things. Yeah, I guess the one that surprises me is clothing. I, I wonder if within there, you know, it just feels like athleisure is just going to – it's just massive share. And the people that I'm seeing in clothes stores, they're not – they're not in the Macy's. They're at the Lululemon. So I wonder if, I wonder if that's going to be more of a permanent thing inside of that clothing. I don't think anyone's going out and buying a suit yet or anything like that.
1: Not a lot. I'm with you. I I um am relatively bearish on the apparel industry. Like I mean, I I think it was really starting to struggle before the pandemic, and then the 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 pandemic just obliterated it. The it's been so down that it's not surprising that there's pent up demand and that, you know, they're they're starting to have a rebound, some level of rebounds, inevitable. But per your point, um, how much of that rebound was, you know, fresh sweats for working at home as opposed to an outfit to wear to the bar? Right. Um, like, the you know, there there is some evidence that, you know, there were more shoe sales and things like that. Um so so, you know, there was so much repressed demand that that some kind of rebound is inevitable. But I, I I still think A, you you have, you know, it's still down for the year. Um, and you have a long way to go uh to kind of get back to pre pandemic levels. And I, I'm with you, I sort
0: of I don't think it ever is going to. Yeah. Uh how about the non store? Do you think that have you ever looked at how close that comes up being to the e commerce number when they publish it? Is it like Plus or minus a couple of points? or
1: No, it's bigger. It's like, uh, it's about 75, uh, about 75% of non-store is e-commerce. But the deviation is, there's enough standard deviation that it's just not perfectly consistent, which is why I don't get too excited about the non-store number.
0: Yeah, because it feels like, so the non-store number was 16.7, right? Uh, It feels light to me with the stimulus dollars, because everyone on Twitter, at least, and obviously it's a biased audience, but you know, the, 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 the things I, I have visibility into um, and then what I can see on Twitter, it, it does seem like there was a stimulus surge there in March that was pretty material. Now, maybe it was just small in it towards the end, right? Yeah. And so I, I, like there is
1: the problem of non-store not being a perfect surrogate for, e-commerce but then also just e-commerce data just stinks as we've talked about a bunch of times right and I'll, the um maybe we'll break it out for the next one but I keep this running list of of reported e-commerce growth right so it's e-commerce is not a gap number right so no, nobody's obligated to to report their e-commerce growth but since it's the best number in your financial performance almost every retailer they can't help themselves when they do their quarterly earnings they're like Comps were down two percent, but e-commerce grew by triple digits. Um, yeah. And it's it's often growing from a you know a small base and all these other things. But um, uh, so I've been tracking every public company that reveals it, and I have a pretty good list of public companies that have revealed their e-commerce growth for the last three quarters. And the common denominator of all of them is not one of them is at or below the industry average. <laughs> so. Like that—that that just doesn't pencil out, right? Like, there aren't enough other retailers with enough volume to
0: to make that work. Yeah, that's never made sense to me. No. <laughs> um, the what are any other takeaways from the data? Um, no, I just I, so a like
1: stimulus works. It goes it goes right into people's banks and right uh, into the retail store. So that's a super benefit. Like, I. I don't think you're going to see any more stimulus, right? I think there's there's politically, I think there's a lot of fatigue around stimulus, and when as the health stuff becomes less dire, um, which happily it's going to, the there's not going to be the political will for more stimulus, and so you know I think that uh, the the this is going to be another part of the comps problem going forward. Yeah. Okay.
0: Cool. Anything else on the data? Nope. Nope. That seems like plenty. All right. Well, let's pivot to news. It wouldn't be a Jason and Scott show without some. Amazon news. news. Your margin is their opportunity. Well, Jason, I hope you're sitting down and you have a hanky there. Uh, you know, I, I know you keep a little hanky in your, in your, uh, pocket there. Um, Jeff Bezos put out the last his last shareholder letter today and it was actually bittersweet for me. I'm a uh, you're a retail geek. I'm an Amazon geek, I guess, and I have you know a lot of people wait for the um, Buffett letter to come out and all that. Um, I wait for the Bezos letter. so I really love his annual shareholder letter. Um, it comes out when they do the annual uh, report, so that actually came out today. And it's really good. Um, So in there, but it's sad because it's bittersweet because it's his last one. Uh, And, you know, as an entrepreneur and founder, this one really was, is kind of hit me in the feels. Uh, I could talk about it for the whole hour, but I I won't subject you to that. Um, So I split kind of my highlights into two buckets. One would be kind of takeaways for other people starting companies. And then the other one would be, just generally, anyone in the industry, he released a couple of little news tidbits in in the letter, and so one of them is actually pretty uh, a new disclosure that people have literally been waiting, you know, over fifteen years for. <laughs> so um, on the founder entrepreneur side, uh, you know, he has created one point six trillion dollars of value for shareholders. So that's that's pretty amazing. Um, not many people can say that. I do question the. Validity of saying you're at day one when you've created one of the world's largest companies (laughs) feels like maybe it's day one and a half. I I don't know. Uh, I know that Amazonians get uh, offended by saying day two, so I won't I won't go there.
1: I think it's Um, especially hard to say day one when your founder retires after
0: 26 years. (laughs) (laughs) It was a long day.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's Alaska
0: Um, territory right there. Yeah. And I would encourage the listeners to read this one. Um, it's really good. And, and one of the most fun things to do um, since we're on this topic is go back and read the original, you know, what, what people call the 97 letter. Um, his first one. Um, it's, it's just amazing how he talked about it. It's so relevant today that it's pretty amazing. You know, imagine trying to write something in 1997 and, and so much has been invented since then. Um, like, uh, let's say, the smartphone. Um, social media and you know all these things. Um, it's pretty amazing that he nailed then the trends that that they would focus on for you know the next years. Um, okay, that being said, I wanted to pull a couple of highlights. He has a lot of uh, the letter was really interesting because it did have this for the first time kind of like coaching lessons for entrepreneurs and. Um, I picked out two that I liked. There were many more um, in there, so I'll I'll defer. People can read that if they're interesting. But but the two lessons I thought were most interesting, number one, was create more than you consume. And I'll just read this little excerpt. If you want to be successful in business and life, actually, you have to create more than you consume. Your goal should be to create value for everyone you interact with. Any business that doesn't create value for those it touches, even if it appears successful on the surface, isn't long for this world. It's on the way out. And, you know, I thought that was just a really nice way to summarize um, a philosophy of doing things. He, he's in the crosshairs a lot because he's one of the world's richest men, if not the, depending on how you're calculating Elon Musk and and uh, Bill Gates and all that jazz. Um, and, uh, you know, but he has given back a ton. He speaks a lot at entrepreneurial events and all this kind of thing. So um, and he, he's invested in a ton of startups as well, which is which is interesting. So including like Google by the way, yeah, yeah, a little a couple Stanford guys had this search engine he invested in um but then what's interesting he's he kind of goes and tries to make a um you know a, a, does the math on the the annual impact and uses the last year um 2020 as the the, the time frame and he goes through and and I won't bore you with this, but um, it's really interesting he kind of talks about You know, shareholders made effectively 21 billion employees, 91. Third-party sellers profited to the tune of 25 billion by calculation. And then um, one thing he does that's near and dear to my heart is he does this customer calculation. um, And it's really interesting. He uses kind of the the, proxy for how much time they saved in aggregate shopping on Amazon. Um, I spend almost all day talking about, you know, uh, our the job that uh, my company does is saving people time on car care. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see him walk through that math and how he approached it. Um, and then he sums all that up and he comes to kind of $300 billion was was kind of the the you know, some tangible, some intangible um, value that, that Amazon created in aggregate, which, which is pretty interesting. Um, then, um, you know, we live in such a skeptical time. The first pass, I read that I was kind of like reading it as like this kind of lesson for entrepreneurs. And the second time I was like, how much is he defending himself from monopoly and that kind of stuff? And there's definitely parts of the letter that are 100% defense against that. But this one, it it felt like it came more from the heart I kind of landed on. Um, And then the second lesson he talked about, um, and I feel comfortable uh, with a podcast host who calls himself Retail Geek, uh, that you're going to be squarely in on this one. Uh, he talks about differentiation is survival and the universe wants you to be typical so um, you know th- this was a really interesting lesson of just being different it is okay and it's good and it actually is is uh, a way to, to survive and and do better than the average by definition. Uh, and then a little quote here we all know that distinctiveness originality is valuable. We are all taught to quote unquote be yourself." What I'm really asking you to do is embrace and be realistic about how much energy it takes to maintain that distinctiveness. The world wants you to be typical in a thousand ways. It pulls you at you to be typical. Don't let that happen. So I thought that was kind of interesting of, you know, the, the things he picks to talk about and you can tell he puts a lot of thought into these topics. I, I just thought those were two interesting ones. Um, and then on the new side, so that was some entrepreneur founder stuff I found kind of interesting and helpful. Uh, and then the other bucket was some news tidbits, and I talked about the $25 billion from third-party sellers. That was kind of a new disclosure, if you will. Um, but for the first time, he he, you know, um, uh, effectively says that there's over 200 million Prime members globally. So that was interesting because there's been some wide-ranging – I think I've seen – the range I would put on this is – um, a lot of Wall Street guys were kind of like in the 180, 190 range, um, so they were kind of close to 200. Uh, but then there's always that one that's like wildly high, and I think it's it's kind of up into the high 200s, uh, like 280, 290. But in, in classic Bezosism, he says over 200 million, so we definitely know the 180, is wrong, but the 280 probably is wrong. Um, it feels like… The way it was disclosed is almost as if they had just crossed over, Um, but he doesn't explicitly say that, so you can't count on it. So that was a big disclosure that had a lot of people on the interwebs talking today. Um, They also disclosed when he was going through that math of the impact, um, he had to have a number to multiply by. He kind of does the per seller impact, and then he had to have a number to multiply, and he said greater than 1.9 million. Um, I kind of thought I remember this being disclosed as 1.5 million, so I wasn't so surprised by that one. Um, and then another little tidbit is that um they have over a hundred million smart devices that are connected to Alexa, so um that was a new disclosure as well uh so so those were my takeaways jason uh what what did you enjoy from the letter?
1: Yeah, I would echo all uh everything you you pointed out he like one of the things that hit home for me he talked about like you know everyone will give you advice to be yourself um and the fairy tale version of that is that just you know, when you act like yourself, everything will be great and easy. And he's like, the reality is like being different than the norm takes a huge amount of effort to, and, uh, you know, challenge to maintain. And that, that, you know, that, you know, part of the deal is you have to keep putting that effort in. It's not easy. And that's, that's why, you know, people tend to regress to normalness. Um, which I like, it's obvious when he says it, but I thought, you know, it was, it was an interesting point. And he, uh, uh, whether it's him or the massive team that writes this letter for him, he's super articulate. I, I tend to believe it's mostly him. Um, and there, you know, there's some great metaphors and points in there. The, I took away the the same three big bullets you did, 200 prime, mem- 200 million prime members, 1.9 million sellers and the 100 million devices. And I would say, A, to me, it, it, it's interesting. It, it means that the pro, the, the estimators are really good, right? Like a lot of people had them at a, 190 to 200 million Prime members, so that was great. Uh, Marketplace Pulse had them at 1.5 million sellers, so you know 1.9 was great. And I, I kind of think the 100 million is a little bit of a throwaway number because uh, you know we're all curious how many Alexas are out there, which he did not disclose. And he said 100 million smart devices are attached to Alexa, but the the ratio is highly variable. I have 82 smart devices in my house connected to Alexa. Um, so like, I know, I know that I'm an outlier, but I'm just saying, like, you start throwing a bunch of light bulbs and switches and stuff on there, and it's, you know, uh, uh, kind of a meaningless number. Um, but I, I thought all those things were good takeaways. The, the math on the time savings was awesome to me. Uh, a, a fact he disclosed that was not public was that almost 30% of all Amazon transactions happen in under three minutes. So total shopping time for 28% of transactions is under three minutes, um, and you know by comparison, an average brick and mortar trip is 60 minutes. So huge, huge time savings. I you know he kind of did a a more sophisticated model and came up with like the average customer, Amazon customer saves 75 hours a year of shopping by shopping online, and it's a it's a great argument for Amazon, but it's also just a Uh, I got involved in a dispute online uh, on uh, LinkedIn recently about, like, what the definition of uh, customer service is and customer satisfaction. And everyone's like, well, you know, people in a retail store can always give better customer service than a robot online. And I kind of took the argument, well, no, that's not true. If customers decide that good customer service is fast, easy shopping – then Amazon gives better customer service than than Amaz than uh, Nordstrom's and and like the customer sat sh- show uh, stores kind of show that and it, it makes perfect sense when you think about three minutes versus sixty minutes for a shopping trip. So I, I just thought all that stuff was super interesting. And then the other thing is, you know, he's not going away. He's still chairman. C- you know, curious what his focus was going to be on, and kind of the two things he talked about were number one. That he thinks of himself first and foremost as an inventor. He thinks that's where he adds the most value at Amazon. So that, like, on a go-forward basis, he wants to invent stuff. And the stuff he claims he's going to focus on, which is probably true, but also has a kind of, um, you know, good good PR element to it, is is he made a specific uh, emphasis on adding a new goal for Amazon? Amazon's goal has always been to be the most uh, the world's most customer centric company. And he's added this new goal to be the world's uh, best in and uh, safest employer. And so his mm-hmm. his um, promise in the shareholders' letter uh, is to you know help invent new products and processes to make Amazon the the best employer in the in the world
0: and the in the safest. And so, uh, super interesting. Yeah, and maybe I'm skeptical, but maybe it's just right after the heels of that whole. Peeing in jars and trucks thing. It just felt to me yeah. like that was no, part, like, a part last minute addition to talk about that it's in response to that. And he
1: he over, he yeah. overtly took on the you know they they massively won this super controversial um, union vote, um, and uh, and he kind of took that on. He's like, in case you're curious, I'm not happy about the vote. like Amazon won. Um, like they, you know, a bunch of people worked really hard at Amazon to make sure that a union didn't get formed and, and the voters, you know, the employees like overwhelmingly voted against forming a union. Um, and you know, Jeff, which is the right spin, regardless of how you feel, Jeff, you know, in the shareholder meeting, he's like, Hey, Nobody's celebrating. Nobody's happy that a union didn't form. Like we clearly need to be, do a better job with our employee, like you know our employees. And so here's my go forward focus. So I think it's a it's a smart spin. Um, and I I do think you know Jeff's not going to write something in the shareholder letter that he doesn't plan on delivering on. So whether it's it's coming from a a a place of convenience or altruism, kind of doesn't matter. I'll bet you I'll bet you they spend some real cycles figuring things out to improve uh, the, the allegedly already high cost, uh, employee satisfaction
0: and and for sure to overtly improve safety. Yeah, the um, one last thing on that math that was interesting is he does all that math of how much an average trip to a store costs and everything. And he effectively, and then he nets out the prime cost. And, and basically, you know, the calculus is by being a prime member, you save $630 just of your time. And the, he he bills everyone's time at ten dollars an hour, <laughs> so that was I thought that was really um you know there's all these stories about when Prime was being invented that he his driving measure of it was the, it should be fiscally irresponsible not to be in Prime and this makes you know and a lot of that was just the the savings of products and, and those kind the convenience just the overall convenience and this is kind of interesting that he's put some a hard dollar against that of, of you're effectively throwing away six hundred dollars if you don't join Prime. Now, there's obviously a, a counter argument to that and, and everything, but I, I thought it was really interesting how he, he framed that. Yeah, yeah, no,
1: I agree. So a ton of good stuff in the shareholder letter. Uh, I saw people on the internet like alleging it was his best one ever, and I, I still think the first one is the best. But
0: yeah, it's a good bookend. Yeah, so there, there's it's a good good beginning and ending okay well you can put your hanky away hopefully uh hopefully you're okay over there um uh one news that caught my item and this is kind of related to this uh you know we've we've been talking this year a lot about watching shopify versus amazon um, and then we did that very popular show about the changing privacy things coming out and one of the possible conclusions of that is shopify could be under some some pressure from that and it was really interesting. An article came out that uh, about half the senior executives at Shopify are leaving. Um, it's hard to tell what's going on here. Um, Toby had a really weird statement. Let me read it. Me, it didn't make sense to me. Did you read it?
1: Uh, t- I'm not sure which. I didn't catch one that sounded super weird. to me. tell so if no. it was
0: underhanded or not. Um, let's see. Um, so he did the normal. They've been spectacular and deserve to think about then he this is the part that kind of had me a little befuzzled. Each of them has their individual reasons, but what was unanimous with all three was that this was the best for them and the best for Shopify. And then he says, we have a deep bench and they will be, they will step in to quickly fill these roles. So, I don't know. It, the weird thing, I don't know, that it was unanimous, that it was best yeah, for Shopify. Yeah. I don't know. It was kind of, it's almost like there was some kind of a power play or something or i, I don't know i got like a weird vibe off of it
1: yeah you almost would the the conspiracy uh theorist in me like so this is three c level people leaving a public company at the same time and by the way a fourth one left three months ago right so uh yeah, it's yeah. four of the eight um and a couple of these the the chief product officer that left last november craig miller and then the 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 chief talent officer that left this week, like those were like amongst the 21st employees. And I, I kind of think in a, uh, a giant fast running public company, you tell me, um, but um, in normal succession planning, like even if a bunch of people want to go, you know, cash in their chips and uh, live on a beach, um, you would stagger out the departures more, right? If, if in a, uh, in a kind of, if you were working things out synergistically. So for all these people to leave at once, um, it, it, it feels like there had to be some impetus that, that we're not fully cognizant of.
0: Yeah. One, one other thing I've, uh, you know, externally observed is, um, they have a guy, Harley, is it Finkelstein, Finkel, something like that. We'll call him Harley F. Um, and he was kind of, you know, a partnership guy, and then he seems to be coming the face of the company. And and maybe I kind of wonder if there was, you know, some secession thing in there, and and he's been some kind of he's kind of been you know, he he kind of won that battle. There, there feels like something went on there. Um, the other thing I've noticed is their their social accounts they've gotten really super snarky. So you know, Shopify used to kind of I think being this kind of what I would call this Canadian, like, you know, we just want to help, you know, arm the rebels and grow customers. And like most of their social stuff was about just kind of pounding that drama of, you know, look, we took this, you know, this entrepreneur and we helped them do this. And, and they have a lot of good con- content around that. But increasingly they're throwing shade at Amazon, which, you know, that's punching up. But then I've noticed they've actually been kind of, I would say, punched down. Um, there was a retailer whose site was down and, it was, and they were on e-commerce and you know the shopify socials kind of added them um added that retailer and said hey sorry to hear you're having so much trouble with your current provider we're here to help and it, that that one kind of felt like punching down and a little little on the edge for for what they're doing so, it, so something something interesting is going on inside of there
1: yeah it it is a um uh, jeff would be very happy because it's a not normal culture uh <laughs> um,
0: They're living the dream.
1: Yeah. I will say, for better or worse, like these three three folks announced that they're leaving add in the fourth one last quarter and the stock still went up. Um so so for whatever that's worth, like the the market isn't panicking. The the one I hear the most about is the chief technology. Like if people are freaking out that someone's leaving, it's this guy. Uh, Jean-Michael Lemieux, who is the chief technology officer. And he, he'd been there like six years and was credited for, you know, um, a lot of progress in the platform. So people, uh, are, are somewhat concerned about his departure. Um, so we'll, we'll see how all that plays out. Like I, I think Shopify is an amazing company they do a bunch of stuff, right? Um, but I have to say a, a common problem for someone in Shopify's position. And I think Shopify suffers from this in spades because of their success and their rapid growth they have a ton of technology debt um and you know there there are a lot of chinks in their armor from a product standpoint like it's not the 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 fastest best performing most mobile friendly platform on the planet at this point um and so I, like i don't know maybe the the change in leadership will make it easier like i i know toby is a developer and he has a personal affinity for their original stack that they're still on which is Ruby on Rails, but like maybe, maybe a new technology officer will, will, uh, help them work down some of that technology
0: debt. Or maybe the old guy said, leave Ruby, I'm leaving. And it was like, ah, okay, uh, well, yeah, here you go. maybe that was it. Peace, peace, bro. Um, and, uh, you know, one calendar thing just to throw out there is Shopify announces their Q1 results on April 28th, and then the next day is Amazon. So we will be having a show. Um, we'll do it after the Amazon cause we want to definitely, um, that, you know, people, uh, enjoy our recaps there, but we'll wrap in some of the Shopify stuff and have our, our ears peeled for anything around this. And obviously how Shopify did versus Amazon. And, um, I think it's gonna be interesting cause I think they may throw shade at each other in, in their calls and Amazon won't, but, but Shopify may. So I'll, I'll be listening for that as well. Did you see any news that caught your eye this week? Yeah, there's one more
1: I wanted to bring up because I feel like it's it's uh, thematic with the other news. Uh, uh, Katrina, the founder of Stitch Fix, uh, has announced that she is stepping down as CEO, moving into an executive chairman role. Um, and that is interesting to me. There have been a bunch of articles, you know, kind of bemoaning that she's one of the 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 best female entrepreneurs out there and, and, uh, you know, one of the the few female CEOs of a, a successful public company. Um, and I, I have to be honest, like all of those articles are slightly rubbing me the wrong way because, like, wh- whether it's lost on people or not, she's one of the most successful entrepreneurs of our generation, period. Like, it, like th- there's no gender qualifiers. Um, she started a company that, you know, invented a new business model that's been heavily knocked off. Uh, She took them public, but what's unique and, and continue to operate them, what's unique about her versus almost any other CEO in this rat race is she retained the overwhelming majority of ownership of the company all the way through the IPO, which almost never happens.
0: Yeah. Her, um her episode on how I built this is really good and i think she ended up retaining a lot because she, they had a hard time raising capital there were so many people that doubted the model would ever work yeah um,
1: and i that, ironic, you know, in the part long run it was not was, totally by design
0: better. it was by necessity yeah 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 i agree she she she's awesome and did she i didn't see that did she announce what she's gonna do i think she has young kids so she's probably yeah.
1: some time she probably yeah she did she did not specifically announce it um she uh she did tease at um Kind of what the next chapter is at Stitch Fix, which people are kind of excited about because Stitch Fix was already a pretty heavily data centric company and both, both, I think this is partly true, but I think they also leaned into this from a PR standpoint that they collect all this, this unique attribute data about all the items that get sold and all the items that don't get sold. Um, and you know, that they, they have like very data driven personalization and the implication, um, in her leaving was that like the next phase in evolution from stitch fix is to really weaponize that data at the next level. And kind of, there were were a few things in there that a lot of us interpreted as uh, they're going to be pivoting to making a lot more of their own stuff. They already do make some, they're a wholesaler, but they they do make some of their own stuff um, and that the stuff they make is going to be heavily um, data driven uh, merchandise design. And so that that's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, there's this woman, Elizabeth Spaulding, who's currently the president. I think she's been there like six years. And so she's going to be the, the new CEO. Uh, and, and like most of these founders, she's not, she's not going away. She's, she's stepping up to a chairman role, which I assume will give her more bandwidth for other aspirations in her life and spend some of that good equity money she earned. So, Scott, I think we we miraculously did it. We are we are uh, well under the hour so we can we can give all our listeners a little time back this week and uh, uh, finish with a shorter show. But if we got something wrong or spurred some some following conversation, we'd love it if you'd hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. And as always, if this was helpful, now that you've got 20 extra minutes, that's plenty of time to jump on iTunes and uh, click that five star review for us.
0: Thanks, everyone. We appreciate it. And we got a lot coming up next week. So, um, hopefully, some of you are going back to work and commuting or or still have time because we're going to be cranking out some content here as things heat up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And some uh, guests I'm excited for as well. So, until next time, happy commercing.